This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. The absolute gall it takes to decide with my one week of being a lawyer, I should challenge the first black woman on our state Supreme Court because I, Mr. Richard Cerns, who have been a school administrator, have something to say. No, bull crap. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. This is our continuing saga of uh, the coronavirus in Tacoma. I believe we are up to week 10. Anyway, I'll double check on that. But um, today I'm joined by my lovely husband, Joe Lopez, and we're going to talk about um, filing week for all of the elections this year. But first, let's talk about our COVID-19 numbers. As of um, May 16th, which is the information I have off of the Seattle Times, the total confirmed cases of um, COVID-19 in Washington state, we have 18,433 cases. Total deaths, just over 1,000, 1,001. And in Pierce County, we have 1,680 cases and we have experienced 62 deaths. Interestingly, um, up until about last week, we were pretty even with Yakima County. But Yakima County has unfortunately skyrocketed in terms of the number of cases. They now have 2,253 cases and have had 75 deaths. And I think that there will be a Nerd Farmer podcast on that soon. So listen for that to get more information. But in the midst of our coronavirus times, life goes on. And one of the things that we pay attention to is um, elections. So Joe... Tell me about filing week this year and what races you want to start talking about. Well, I think one really interesting race is the, uh, the congressional race, the 10th district. That's the seat that up to now has been held by Denny Heck. Mm-hmm. It was a recently created seat, created, I think, after the 2010 census indicated you know, a substantial raise in Washington population that required the creation of an additional congressional seat. Heck has held the seat for a number of terms now, but he has announced that he will be stepping down at the end of this term uh, and then recently announced that he'll be running for lieutenant governor of the state of Washington. There are quite a few people who have filed to... uh, to run for this, uh, it has been hotly contested going back to almost the day that Denny Heck announced that he was going to be vacating the seat. We've got, let's see, a number of Democrats and at least five Republicans. But it's interesting the way it's breaking down in terms of fundraising because if popular vote follows amount of money raised, this is going to end up being a general election in which we have two Democrats running against one another. Mm -hmm. Who are the Democrats? 
Christine Reeves is currently a state legislator, has up until very recently been a state legislature in, I think, the 30th district in Federal Way. She announced that she was stepping down from that seat the day she announced that she was running for Congress. Mm-hmm. Also running is former uh, Tacoma Mayor Marilyn Strickland, current Olympia State Representative Beth Dolio, uh, Joshua Collins, who Federal Election Commission has him listed as a Democrat, but I think he lists himself as some sort of socialist. Uh, the other Democrat running mm-hmm. is Phil Gardner, who is currently a legislative aide to Denny Heck. On the Republican end, we have... Nancy Slotnick, Ryan Ingram, Ryan Tate, Don Hewitt, and Dan Gordon. Um, None of these are very familiar names to me. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is the fundraising breakdown in that the five Republicans, the highest raising is Nancy Slotnick, who has $27,000. By contrast... The other candidates have between have raised between two hundred and seventy four thousand. That's Christine Reeves, and one hundred thousand, and that's Phil Gardner. Mm-hmm. So, uh, who's uh, how do the um, top Democrat uh, Democratic fundraisers look? How much money have they been pulling? Christine Reeves has pulled about two hundred and seventy four thousand. Marilyn Strickland is at two hundred and fifty one. These are Federal Election Commission figures. Mm-hmm. Beth Dolio has raised about 240. In terms of cash on hand, however, because of uneven spending, Beth Dolio actually has more money on hand than, than the other two do. Oh, that's interesting. Of the other high raising candidates, Joshua Collins has raised 205,000, but has spent about 152,000. Phil Gardner has raised one hundred and eight thousand and has spent forty two thousand. Mm-hmm. So one of the things um, that we did last week, I've have been a um, precinct committee officer in the Democratic Party, and um, the county Democrats, Pierce County Democrats, had their endorsement meeting on Thursday night, and I think that there had been a. Um, there, there were a number of these candidates who were asking for endorsement. Beth Dolio, Marilyn Strickland um, had both been considered by the endorsement committee. And then also Christine Reeves and Phil Gardner also had their names put forward for endorsement. And the person who got the endorsement, uh, Beth Dolio got the largest uh, amount of votes for endorsement. And then Phil Gardner also um was got the votes for endorsement. But what I thought was very interesting was that Marilyn Strickland did not get a vote for endorsement. In fact, and I'm looking it up now on my phone, um, she was pretty strongly voted down by the, the Democrats. So for example, in endorsements, um, Beth Dolio received 87 votes in favor of endorsement, 36 votes against, and 11 abstentions. Marilyn Strickland received 42 votes for endorsement, 81 votes against endorsement, and 11 abstentions. Uh, And I'm just going down to the end of the list. The way it worked was some people had um, 
gone through the endorsement process and were, and were recommended for endorsement by the committee. And then other names could also be brought forward. So Phil Gardner's name was brought forward. He received 60 votes in favor of endorsement, 58 votes against endorsement. So you know, pretty close there. And then 16 abstentions. And Christine Reeves received 38 votes in favor of an endorsement, 73 against, and 23 well, abstentions. You know, the, these results sort of track... I don't know if it's going to turn out to be an issue or if it's only an apparent issue, uh, but one little bit of controversy, controversy that's attached to this race is the fact that of these financial front runners that we're talking about, two of them don't in fact live in the 10th congressional district. Right. Marilyn Strickland lives in um, downtown Tacoma. I think Christine Reeves still lives in Federal Way. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. I think that's a very big issue when you're looking at the county Democrats. I mean, these are all Democratic, either precinct officers or, or members who've paid memberships. So they're they're very uh, it's very much a group of politically active individuals. And it seemed as though the idea of people running to represent a district in which they did not reside was really resented, especially um, by the people who were residents of the district, people who live in Puyallup, people who live in Lakewood University Place. What I don't know, what we really don't know is what does the average citizen feel about that? You know, so we know the very active Democrats see that as a significant issue. But what about your average voter? Do they care that the person doesn't live in the district or are they more interested in who they are, what their background is and what the issues are? Well, I guess we're going to find that out. We're really now only at very the beginning of electoral season, and most people are only now going to begin to get some sense of who's running and for uh, and for what. Mm -hmm. um, but this has been among people who follow politics. This has at least been an eye raiser. Now, let's be clear: there's nothing wrong with running for a congressional seat in a district you don't live in. You only right. need to live in the state. Right. And we have seen it work um, successfully. Pramila Jayapal, at the time when she ran for Congress, did not live in the district that she won. Although I will say, I think it's a little bit different when you're up in Seattle because, you know, the issues from one district to another in an urban environment, um, I think are pretty similar. I think if you're seen as someone who's active and involved in Seattle issues, you're knowledgeable about Seattle issues. I am not sure that if you are, um, you know, not living in um, Olympia or Puyallup or Lakewood or any of the of the cities that are in the district, if those people feel that you're up on their issues. Well, and we'll see how this plays out. It, it's obviously it's going to be a campaign issue. Um, you know, Beth Dolio lives in the district. Phil Gardner lives in the district. He's over in East Tacoma. I'm not sure. I haven't had time to pull any data on the uh, on the Republicans. Um, so I'm not sure where they fall out in terms of who lives where. But in, in, in terms of the candidates who are, you know, the high visibility candidates in this race, yeah, we've got two of them who, who don't live in the district. And this has raised some eyebrows. Mm -hmm. I would agree with you. I mean, there's a lot of people actually who are going to be on the primary ballot. I, I had pulled up um, the list on the Secretary of State's uh, office. We've got a Jackson Maynard, uh, 
uh, Republican, Todd Buckley, Republican, Nancy Slotnick, Republican, who you said is the one who so far is reporting yeah. the most money in the Republicans. And then Christine Reeves, a Democrat, Joshua Collins, who you mentioned, looks like he is running as an essential workers candidate. Yeah, I, I knew it. Uh, it's interesting because I'm looking at the Federal Election Commission uh, page on this mm-hmm. race. Uh, the FEC actually lists him as a Democrat. I don't yeah. know why. They may not now, have as many options as our state that, has. That could be. I should also point out, too, that uh, as of right now, FEC data is somewhat out of date. It is uh, most recent coverage on it is March 31st. Mm-hmm. And there hasn't been an update to the page since then. And since these candidates filed, there have been other Republicans who filed too. Yeah, I'm also looking at a Ryan Ingram Republican, Gordon Allen Pross Republican, a Richard Boyce from Lakewood who is running for the Congress Sucks Party. I saw that one. Yeah, Mary Bacon, Democrat, Beth Dolio, Democrat, Don Hewitt, Republican. That name is familiar. I think he may have been in the legislature. It is familiar, but I'm not quite sure why. Yeah, Phil Gardner, Democrat, Eric LeMay, Democrat, who I don't know at all, but I wonder if he's if he's um, related to the LeMay um, garbage services. Yes, when I, when I saw the name... Uh, Last week during filing week, I took a look at uh, who he was, and he has, uh, I believe he's been on the board of the uh, the LeMay Museum that's mm. over on the east side. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Marilyn Strickland, Democratic. Dean Johnson, Republican. Ryan Tate, Republican. Ralph Johnson, Republican. Sam Wright, Democratic. And uh, uh, Randy Randolph or Randy Bell, Democratic. So there's a lot of names on that ballot, but I agree with you. There's only a a few of them that are really, um, you know, have already some name familiarity. Yeah. What about the 6th Congressional District? I think that one's interesting because we see um, the phenomenon that's becoming more... um, I guess, more common, and that is um, Democrats challenging incumbent Democrats. And I think this, um, the, and we'll see some of this in the legislative races too, I think this is sort of uh, partly after the 2016 race. We saw in 2018 a lot of new um, con- um, congressional members, um, you know, real standouts like Alexandria, um, Ocasio-Cortez and, um, you know, some of the, gr- the younger women that, that um, she has been associated with. Um, but it's kind of a new uh, phenomenon, but we have it going on in District 6. Yeah, this is the, uh, this is the seat that represents a good chunk of Tacoma and then goes all the way out across the, the Olympic Peninsula mm-hmm. to the ocean. The incumbent who has held the seat for a number of terms now is Derek Kilmer. Um, the primary challenger who has been running against him now for, you know, I believe it was about a year ago that she that she announced mm-hmm. uh, is Rebecca Parson. Mm-hmm. And there are a number of other people who have filed on the seat. Uh, but so far, in terms of, you know, who's getting publicity, it's been the incumbent and it's been Rebecca Parson. 
Yeah. And how has Rebecca done in terms of her um, fundraising? Um, again, this is FEC data as of March 31st. Uh, she had raised $122,000 against disbursements of $98,000. Mm-hmm. Um, these figures don't quite add up because they're not all a snapshot at the same point in time. But cash on hand as of the end of March was about 36000 Okay. By so contrast, she, yeah, I was going to say she's actually raised a pretty good amount of money, but it, it looks like she spent most of it too. And we're well, we're by still contrast, several- we've got Derek Kilmer, the incumbent. Um, as of March 31st, uh, cash on hand is 3.5 million. Oh, yeah, that is, you know, there in yes, I mean, that's it's difficult to run against an incumbent. It is difficult to run against an incumbent. Uh, it was interesting at the uh, county endorsement meeting. Um, Derek Kilmer has very strong support among local Democrats. He um, he is endorsed. Uh, he received 113 yes votes on the endorsement, 15 no votes, and six abstentions. Okay, Rebecca Parson uh, received 49 votes in favor of endorsement, 75 against, and 10 abstentions. And I would say... That was, um, it's hard to know. You can't really get a flavor of the room through a Zoom meeting, but I would say the uh, a lot of the younger um, members, active members of the party, and those who are um, very much aligned with the progressive values like Medicaid for All um, and Green New Deal are supporting Rebecca, and they have concerns about Derek, uh, feel that he is, um, you know, supported by corporate money and, um you know, hasn't made a, a, a clear avowal of uh, support for Green New Deal or, or for, um, you know, the Medicare for all. And so that's where the split seems to be within our local Democratic Party. I would say that this is one. So this is one where we see this pattern of a younger candidate, often more progressive candidate, certainly one who is um, voicing the values that are associated with um, Bernie Sanders' campaign, taking on um, a, a well-known um, Democratic incumbent and posing a challenge in the primary. And I would say that might actually work in a in an urban environment where you have um, less geography, you know, where the district is, it's based on the number of people in the district. So in, in a place like New York City or in Los Angeles, you can have a couple of different um, congressional districts within a, a pair of, you know, within a 10 mile radius. In Washington, we don't have that. A little bit in Seattle, but not the rest of the state. And I would say that someone who's um, advocating for these more progressive values is, is going to face a very difficult battle once you get out of downtown Tacoma, once you get over to, um, you know, Gig Harbor, um, Bremerton, uh, and on across the entire Olympic Peninsula, Forks, Squim, you know, all of that. I, I just think that that is a much different environment. In fact, I can remember, um, I think, either talking to Derek Kilmer or hearing him speak at a group in which his district was actually targeted early on by the Republican Party because they thought that there were so many Trump supporters out on the peninsula that that. Uh, Republicans could probably mount um, an effective challenge against him. I don't think that's true, that they can effectively challenge him, but it does show that that district is a real mix. Yeah, I think that was uh, two electoral cycles ago. 
could One be. thing that makes him difficult to run against, uh, he is a very hard worker in terms of appearing at functions within the district, being present. It's a really far-flung district uh, since it runs from Tacoma all the way out to the ocean. But he spends a lot of time attending local community meetings throughout the entire district and has become a very familiar figure, Mm -hmm. not just in in political meetings, but in various community meetings uh, all across the district. I think that makes him kind of difficult to run against. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. Uh, Any other congressional races that you wanted to go over? Um, you know, I think none that, that present any sort of, you know, really interesting issues the way these two couple of races do. Mm-hmm. I noticed, um, I'm, I'm looking up a couple of other ones. It looks like Carolyn Long, who actually uh, posed a, a very close challenge to Jamie Herrera Butler in, in the third congressional district is running again. Um, so we'll see what happens there. I was trying to look up um, the Kathy McMorris-Rogers to see who was running against her, but I can never remember actually the names of, um, you know, or the numbers for which district. So let's, oh, I've got her. It's District 5, and we have Kathy McMorris-Rogers as the incumbent, and um, two Democrats running against her. One is a Chris Armitage, or Armitage, and then a Dave Wilson, and I don't really know anything about either one of them. There's also uh, Brendan O'Regan running as an independent and then another uh, Stephen Major running as a Republican. So we'll see what happens. She's she's been a very difficult candidate to challenge. She's been incredibly difficult. She's popular over there and it is politically, it's a very conservative district. It's a very conservative district. I would say that the challenge that was posed last time by Lisa Brown, who's now um, you know, director of our state department of commerce, uh, that was a very, um, good campaign and, and she couldn't win. I mean, Kathy Morris Rogers is, um, you know, would be very difficult to defeat. I think, I think that's a hard one. Uh, so what other, okay. So if we talked about the congressional races, Joe, what were the other races that you were taking a look at? Um, the county council is going to be very interesting this year. Four of the seven seats are up for grabs, three because the incumbents are term limited out, Mm -hmm. Uh, the fourth seat because the incumbent Pam Roach announced that she was going to be stepping down and essentially retiring from her political career. Uh So this is going to be a major change in the the look, the the complexion of the, uh, the county council. I agree. So which ones do you think are interesting? I'm having trouble pulling up my um, information from the Secretary of State's office because the way they characterize district types is different. Well, the only race in which we have a classic Republican versus Democrat, so these races will just sail through the the primary into the general election. Um, For um, Council District 6, which is the council district currently represented by Doug Richardson, mm-hmm. uh, we have a Democrat, Janie Hitchin, who was a teacher from, um, I think, Bethel, running against Jason Whalen, who is the current deputy mayor of Lakewood. He's the Republican. 
uh, fundraising. They they both look fairly plausible. I think he's raised about twenty eight thousand. She's raised about twenty one thousand. That tends to be a somewhat conservative area. I would tend to think that gives a bit of a an advantage to Waylon plus name recognition from having been on the uh, the Lakewood City Council for as long as he has been since I think twenty ten. Mm-hmm. Um, other seats up for grabs: Pam Roach's seat, which is Council District Two; Hans Zeiger, who is currently a state senator from the twenty fifth district, is running against Sarah Rumbaugh. Um, she has been a very effective fundraiser for other candidates and causes. Uh, I do not believe she's ever held elective office before. Yeah, I think that's correct. And I pulled up the um, funding information from the PDC website. So this is accurate probably as of the end of April. At this point in time, I think they're still filing monthly reports. And it looks like for that race, um, Hans Zeiger has has, uh, quite a bit of money for this point. He's got about $57,000. But I think uh, some of that may have been moved over from his um, legislative campaign. When um, when you run for office in Washington, uh, you can take the money that you don't spend on your campaign and move it into a surplus funds account. And surplus funds account, you can then later move that money into another active campaign account. Now, you do have to get permission from your donors, your contributors. You have to agree, yeah, I gave you money to run for state senate now you're going to run for county council yes i would like you to use that money in your in your run for county council but most of the time people who support you for one race are more than happy to support you for another race so he's at fifty-seven thousand, and sarah rumbaugh who is a very good fundraiser and a and a very hard worker uh, she has raised twenty-seven thousand. so she's actually doing very well in the fundraising for this at this point in time yeah, and at least in in a large chunk of that district, he'll have a really good amount of name recognition. Uh, he is in the Senate now, where he succeeded to the seat that uh, uh, Bruce Dameyer held before he ran for county executive. Mm-hmm. And before he was in the Senate, he represented the district in the House for several terms. Right. Now, in the other two council races that are up for grabs, we have four challengers in each of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the seat currently held by Jim McCune, who is term limited out, we have four people have filed to run, Amy Kruver, Yana Cook, and Marcus Young, a, a fourth who I have absolutely no information about. His name is Joe Zeichkin. Um, doesn't have a website yet and has not yet filed with the PDC. Yeah. So I have no information about him. Uh, Amy Kruver is currently Jim McCune's counsel assistant and mm-hmm. he has endorsed her. Yana Cook is a former employee spent two decades with the State Department of Transportation and is currently a small business owner in the district. And the fourth candidate is Marcus Young, a minister who uh, 
includes endorsements from 29th District Representative Melanie Morgan, Tacoma Mayor Victoria Woodards, and Tacoma City Council Member Connor McCarthy. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So um, those are the four. As I said before, Zeichkin is the, is the fourth. I know absolutely nothing about him. Those are the four running uh, in that seat. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that tends a, to be a somewhat conservative district. It does. Um, Yana Cook has been real active in the Pierce County Democrats for a number of years, and she did receive an endorsement um, from Pierce County Democrats. She received um, 127 votes in favor of endorsing two against and five abstentions. Um, but I don't believe that um, anyone else was up for an endorsement that evening. And one of the things when I'm talking Young about would have, these, Young would have been the only other one up right. for endorsement. He's a Democrat. Uh, both Kruver and Zeichkin list themselves as Republicans. Yeah. And, and one of the things that um, happened with these endorsements, these were early endorsements which used to be just people who were incumbents in office would get an early endorsement because you'll notice the endorsement meeting was on Thursday and the filing week didn't even finish until Friday. So um, Marcus Young will still have the opportunity of submitting um, paperwork and getting reviewed and coming up for endorsement at a future county meeting, but he was not um, considered at this last meeting. Okay, and our last race for the county council is Council District 4, uh, which is the district currently represented by Connie Ladenberg. It includes a good chunk of Tacoma, parts of University Place. Um, We have three Democrats and an independent have filed to run here. The Democrats are Ryan Mello, who until the end of last year was a... uh, two-term incumbent on the Tacoma City Council, Tim Farrell, who spent eight years on the Pierce County Council between 2004 and 2012. Mm -hmm. Preston Anderson is the third Democrat. I do not believe he's ever held elective office before. And the fourth candidate who is running as an independent is Javier Figueroa, the former mayor of University Place. Yeah. Uh, Javier Figueroa has not reported any money yet from his campaign. He is probably overdue in getting something filed. He just filed his, um, well, he just filed his his C1 report, his campaign registration report on May 15th. So probably some information on contributions will be forthcoming. Um, In terms of this I, I would expect that in the end, this would be a race between Tim Farrell and Ryan Mello, but you never know. Javier uh, Figueroa has been very active in University Place, uh, and that um, is right next to, uh, is in the in this council district, at least por- a portion of it is. In terms of the endorsements from the Pierce County Democrats, both Tim Farrell and Ryan Mello were up for an endorsement, and both of them were endorsed. Um, Tim Farrell received 63 votes in favor of endorsement and 59 against. So that was pretty close one, a squeaker. 12 people abstained. And then Ryan Mello um, uh, received 102 votes in favor of endorsement, 23 votes against, and nine abstentions. 
what was interesting in the discussion of those endorsements was um, it was clear that the folks who have uh, really strong feelings against the LNG um, facility in Tacoma and, you know, the past uh, proposed methanol plant thing and those types of environmental, potentially environmentally damaging industries were not terribly enthusiastic about Ryan Mello um, because they associate him with the city council and the group who they felt could do something to try to stop the LNG plant, but did not do so. And that, to me, that's ironic only because when you look at Ryan as an individual, he has a very strong background in environmental um, protection. He's worked for the Pierce uh, Conservation District and has been at the forefront of a lot of local uh, environmental efforts, things like um, depaving um, areas of the town to um, pull up the pavement and put down gardens and plants. Um, so I, I think that their assessment of him as not environmentally friendly is, is something that I would dispute. The, uh, I think it's worth mentioning the fourth candidate, the third Democrat, is Preston Anderson. He is a clinical social worker, an Army veteran with degrees from the University of Washington, uh, a Master's of Social Work from the UW, and a Master's of Public Administration from Evergreen State College. Mm. I thought for, he made a brief, uh, some brief comments at the endorsement meeting, and one of the things he pointed out was, you know, look at the county and look at this, look at this uh, district in particular that's that's up for consideration, and the lack of any kind of um, diversity, uh, particularly racial diversity, is disturbing and should be disturbing. And I thought that was a really valid point, uh, and something that we don't see much. Uh, racial diversity at all in the county council. Um, in fact, I think we've only had, um, as far as I know, when I may be wrong, one, I know we have one black county council member and that was Harold Moss um, years ago, um, like more than 16 years ago, I think. And yeah. I don't know if there's been any any other. And so that I think is a really important point for Tacomans to consider. Um, and it's not it's not something that's easily fixed. I mean, you really you need people to run and run and run, and it's hard work, and they deserve our support when they when they opt to do so. Well, let's any other races you wanted to mention, Joe? Because uh, next I want to turn to judicial races. Actually, next we'll take a break, and then we'll turn to judicial races. But anything um, before we take a break? Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning the, um, I think a race that we're going to hear a fair amount about is the race for Pierce County Sheriff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us about um, that. The, um, the two high profile candidates who are running for sheriff are Doug Richardson, uh, currently on the uh, Pierce County Council, but term limited out as of the end of the year. Mm -hmm. He's a retired Brigadier General. He is the first and former mayor of Lakewood. Uh, but he has no law enforcement experience in his background. He's running against Ed Troyer, who has been public information officer for the county sheriff's office for many years. Mm -hmm. um, there are two other candidates who filed to run. Darren Harris, who touts a background in law enforcement within the state, but there's nothing on his website that, that tells you where in the state or if, if he's got any... Uh, you know, law enforcement experience within Pierce County. Uh, mm -hmm. The other candidate is Cindy Fajardo, who is a current employee of the Pierce County Sheriff's Office. 
But I, yeah. I think this is a race we're going to be hearing a lot about. Yeah, you know, it always piques my attention when you have a longtime employee of the office who decides to step into the race. And that's what we have here. And and usually what I expect to see is some concerns raised about, you know, some of the folks who've already been featured and who and who may have filed. And so I would agree with you. I think that that's a sign that this race could get very interesting. The other race I think is, uh, or the other thing that was sort of a last minute surprise is that Bruce Dammeyer, who is currently the county executive, drew an, an opponent. It had looked like nobody was going to run against him, which is very unusual in a county executive race. And then uh, at the very last minute, almost Larry Sequist, who has been a legislator from the um, Gig Harbor area, I believe is where he's from. Uh, jumped into the race. So Larry Sequist is now running as a Democrat against Bruce Dammeyer for county executive. I, I was surprised that this race didn't draw um, someone else on the Democratic side. Mm -hmm. I suspect that may say that they just don't view Dammeyer as all that weak. Um, my tendency is to think that he's not going to have much trouble seeking re-election. So it's a very interesting conundrum because I, you know, everyone's trying to get a sense of, and now with the coronavirus, it's, it's even more muddled, but you know, the, the question was what happens in November? You know, is Donald Trump going to be so poisonous that Republicans don't vote, they don't go to the they don't go to the polls, or uh, is, is there going to be a massive wave of people who tend to be who maybe don't tend to vote, but are voting in this race? And are they more likely to vote Democrat? Are they more likely to vote Republican? So I think that's part of what was playing in. Not so much a question of um, you know does Bruce Dammeyer have have issues that could cause him to be beatable? I mean he may or he may not. I I really think he's um he's kept a pretty low profile really for he's county kept a executive. low profile and he's he's pretty much played it safe politically yeah and, I, and he hasn't done anything that i know of that's you know that's sort of alarming in any way no. um but i can see someone sort of thinking this may be where we roll the dice um because we don't know what the election's going to look like in november the other piece is um maybe you roll the dice because you don't want um, a, a politician with the stature of Dan Meyer to um, be able to um, have a walk. And the reason is, I'm just pulling up the PDC stuff again. Bruce Dan Meyer has in his campaign account, uh, he has raised $300,000 and he's only spent about 50,000. So he has amassed a good chunk of money. And, you know, in some strategic circles, you might say, um, let's make him spend some of that money because otherwise he builds it and, and ends up with $500,000 in his surplus funds account to run for the next office he decides to run for. And so that that might factor in as well in this decision uh, for Larry Seekers to run as a Democrat. I tend to think it's going to be very difficult for somebody who comes from the Olympic Peninsula, sort of on the, the outer edge of, you know, sort of Western Pierce County, 
um, to run against Damire, who is a Puyallup Republican and very popular in, in Puyallup and, and other areas of the county that aren't Tacoma. Yeah. Well, as we've seen in, in the recent elections, I mean, Pierce County outside of Tacoma has become it, very conservative. Yeah, it tends to run red. Yeah. Um, and I tend to think, you know, when that was an open seat last time around, it was Damire against Rick Talbert, a popular Democrat who's a good campaigner and got a great common touch. Mm-hmm. I tend to think that if, if Talbert couldn't pull that seat, uh, I I like Larry Sequest, but I think he's going to have a, a lot of difficulty here. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, let's take a break here. When we come back, we'll talk about judicial races a little bit, mostly Supreme Court races, and then some um, legislative races. Hi, I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. And I've been a member of TAPCO Credit Union since I was a kid, really. My parents set up a savings account for me, and I've had that account with them ever since. In fact, my first credit card wasn't from a big bank, it was from TAPCO, and I still have that too. What I appreciate about TAPCO is they are intensely local. Just like Channel 253, TAPCO keeps its focus on Tacoma and Pierce County. They have easy-to-reach branches and ATMs in the Tacoma area, and when I don't want to drive, I just use their online or mobile banking. To this day, TAPCO helps parents teach kids good savings habits. The Moolah Kids Club teaches kids about savings, not only through interest on their money, but with special prizes and discounts at local attractions. So if you want to help your kids start a savings account the same way my parents did, check out our local credit union at tapcocu.org. My thanks to TAPCO for their support of this podcast and Channel 253. Hi, we're back. Uh, before we get going, talking about Supreme Court races, which I have many opinions on, uh, I want to give a little suggestion to you. If you are not currently a member of Channel 253, we would love to have you in our membership. It is a screaming deal. It's $4 a month. You get access to all of the podcasts you could want to listen to, plus a lot of insider specials. Um, and you get the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping to support um our take on local news and local information, which especially now in coronavirus times, I think is valuable. It's nice to know what's going on in your neighborhood, and we provide that. So consider a membership. Okay, I have to give a warning first. I am going to be very frank about the Supreme Court races, and I'm probably going to say some things that some people would consider somewhat racist. All right, here we go. We have um, four Supreme Court justices up for re-election. Deborah Stevens, who is the chief judge now, does not have an opponent. She's she's doing a very good job. Or she should. She's originally, yeah, originally from the uh, Spokane area, so I think she now. Since she's been on the court, she's relocated to uh, to Olympia. Yeah, and and that is what normally happens, frankly, um, because of their workload. Uh, Charles Johnson, who's a who's been a long time um, 
attorney in the Tacoma and Gig Harbor area is up for re-election. And he's we, been on the court since the early 1990s. I yeah, early 90s. And he's done a very good job. He's a real, um, I think, a pra- I would call him a very pragmatic decision maker, someone who looks at problems and likes to think about, you know, how does this really affect people? Not just, you know, the, the pure law, but how does this really impact people, which I think is very valuable to have on a court. I think and, based on age, this will probably be his last term on the court since there's right. a mandatory retirement age of 75. And I believe Charlie, as everybody calls him, is mm-hmm. uh, 69 now. Yeah. So he could have one more six-year term and then he'll probably be retiring. Then we have two appointees um, recent appointees from uh, relatively recent appointees by um, Governor Inslee. One of them, uh, Raquel Montoya Lewis, was appointed in January to take the spot vacated when Chief Justice Mary Fairhurst retired. Raquel Montoya Lewis has a long background as a lawyer and um, especially uh, has been involved in tribal legal work. She is a um, Native American, and uh, she was recently in on the bench in um, in Bellingham, so Whatcom County Superior Court, and she's the first uh, Native American that we've had on our state Supreme Court, and um, is very welcome there, and has a very strong reputation. She has drawn an opponent, uh, David Larson from Federal Way. David Larson, I know he's run against other Supreme Court justices, and I think he is, I think he is like a district court judge. Am I wrong in that? No, he is, and he he has run. He has run before. Um, Mm -hmm. He tends to run against people of color, candidates of color who are are perceived to be potentially somewhat weak electorally. Yeah. Exactly. Now, I'll give him credit. He at least is a judge. He has some experience. But I would normally say, why are you trying to pick off the first Native American justice that we've had in our state? Why are you trying to pick off someone who does come from a strong background and who does represent a very important demographic in our state? Now, we have at least 29 uh, tribes in Washington I believe it might be a different number than that. They are a significant partner in the economy of this state. They are engaged in significant economic activity. And um, having that perspective on the Supreme Court is invaluable. Well, but you you really have to get to the next Supreme Court. I know. And so I was kind of annoyed at David Larson (laughs) until I saw the next race. So let me tell you about the incumbent. Uh, Helen Whitener has been a judge here in Pierce County for a number of years before that. I knew her. We knew her when she was on the Board of Industrial Insurance Appeals. She is really good. She is a very straightforward decision maker, a thoughtful person. She is a black woman. She is a lesbian. She is an immigrant um, from the Caribbean, from Trinidad. And she is just, she is a wonderful, deep thoughtful, sensitive, teaching lawyer and judge. She has been very active in um, going out to the community, especially talking with uh, children and young women of color about the possibility of getting involved in the legal community, 
running for judge. You know, she wants people to know they can do it because she's done it. She's just great. And she drew an opponent. It is Richard S. Cerns. Richard S. Cerns, who has not even been an attorney for more than a month. Well, actually, it's, it's even less than that. When I looked him up on the bar's website, it lists him as having been sworn in on May 8th of this year, and I believe it was on May 13th of this year that he filed to run for the, uh, the Supreme Court seat that's he, currently he, held by Justice Whiteman. Now, he, he, does have, he, he does have, you know, he's not a... He's, he's not, not a 25-year-old. Right. No. He yeah. has been superintendent of uh, schools down in Winlock in uh, Lewis County. But uh, yeah, you know, late in life lawyer, five day lawyer as of the time that he uh, yeah. he filed to run for the Supreme Court seat. I think I just, this is I think this is a record. This is this is a little, I cannot I cannot imagine ever doing something like this. I mean, the absolute gall it takes to decide with my one week of being a lawyer, I should challenge the first black woman on our state Supreme Court, because I, Mr. Richard Cerns, who have been a school administrator, have something to say. No, bull crap. That is is just blatant that he sees an opportunity to run in a statewide race where a lot of people don't know a lot about the judicial positions and pick off a black woman, because what we're going to see is his face on the voter pamphlet, his white man face running against a black woman. And I am so angry. Well, I, yes, and and I agree. But the the danger here is that uh, court seats do tend to be seats that people vote for on the basis of very little information. Right. And it has been a bit of a game on a statewide basis to run against uh, justices of color who are uh, who are on the Supreme Court every I mean, when, time. When uh, when current Justice Steve Gonzalez ran the first time he'd initially been appointed, um, I forget who the challenger was. I think the only county that Gonzalez, who did win re-election, but I think the only county he pulled was King County. He might have pulled Pierce and Snohomish too. He won in Puget Sound. Yes, he won the Puget Sound race. He lost everywhere else to someone who didn't have anything like the credentials that that he presented. He's a former federal prosecutor. He's a former um, Superior Court judge judge on the uh, King County Superior Court. And so this has become a bit of a game. It has become a game. To pick and it, off justices of color. They try to pick off. It is every time it is a white man, middle-aged white man who looks like sort of a dignified individual in their picture in the voters pamphlet. They do not campaign. Well, actually, not every time, because last time Steve Gonzalez ran, he was challenged by an Asian man who had no experience. But, and you know, had been censured by the bar. And I had been recall. censured by the bar. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these are not, we are not seeing the best of the best who are deciding to run against our judges of color. What we are seeing is a really crass calculation of, I know the voters 
are not paying much attention. I know people don't really know very much about the judges. Based on my picture alone, I'm going to roll the dice and maybe I'll get onto the Supreme Court. And I just feel like that is wrong. It's bad for the court. It is bad for the state. It is bad for the citizens. I mean, granted, it hasn't worked. But what that means then is that these judges who get well, this type it, of a, a challenge, they have to go out there. They need to fundraise. They need to go around the state. They need to do a hell of a lot of work in addition to and on top of their significant responsibilities of their job. Yeah, we'll see how this one plays out. Um, you know, I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of positive coverage of this no. particular candidacy in newspapers throughout the state, regardless of their, their political affiliation. Yeah, and it just, it makes me really mad. I just, the gamesmanship that's going on, I think is, I think it's a shame and I think it's an embarrassment. And I'll tell you, I mean, I would, I would be, I would be ashamed to try to play a game like this. I can't imagine why, what these people are thinking. So on that disturbing note, I want to talk about some legislative races. And here's a race that I think is interesting. I'm looking at legislative races and I'm going to legislative district two. Legislative District 2 is, uh, you know, it's in the Yelm area, uh, and uh, I think Eastern um, Lacey, Washington. So it covers a bit of Eastern Pierce County, but more more uh, Thurston County. And the, um, there are two positions, both of them have incumbents, Andrew Barkas and uh, J.T. Wilcox. And J.T. Wilcox is the minority leader of the House of uh, representatives and very well respected. I, I like him a lot. Actually, I think he's um, he's a real straight shooter. But the he's person, from the Wilcox Dairy family. Wilcox Dairy family, and he's just um, yeah. I mean, he's just kind of a, a no nonsense kind of uh, legislator, and I really appreciate that. But what's interesting to me is the fellow who has um, signed up to run against him is Matt Marshall, who's from the Eatonville area. Matt Marshall most recently was uh, campaigning to be on the Eatonville School Board. And I think he was successful, but I'm not sure. But we know Matt Marshall. I know him more because he's been very active in the 3% movement, which is a gun rights advocacy group, and um, has been associated with the Patriot Prayer Movement and other groups. So this is, uh, you know, this is something that we watch carefully. I watch it carefully. When you start to see people who've been involved with either uh, gun advocacy and some of the other groups um, mounting campaigns for the legislature, I think it's always a good idea to pay attention. Now, I don't think that he'll have much of a chance running against Wilcox. Um, no, but he well, one of the things that's, that's sort of something to watch in a race like this is that people who come in with a lot of gun advocacy credentials tend to bring uh, money from out of state. Yes, exactly. Uh, and some of these candidates can be very well funded as a result of that. 
Mm-hmm. At the same time, Wilcox has been a very popular figure. Yeah, I don't see him system. getting a lot of scratch here, but but I do think it helps to build Matt's yep. resume. Yep. And so the next time he'll look even more legitimate. So it's it's certainly worth taking a look at. Um, our local races, and by local I mean sort of Pierce County area, there are a lot of people running uh, for the 30th legislative district because they had two open seats that were filled by appointments. And there are there's an interesting challenge going on in the 29th too. Let me pull that one up. So in the 29th um, legislative district has long been held one of the representative seats by Steve Kirby. Uh, and he has been, he's uh, very well liked by, um, he's got strong connections with labor unions. I'm not sure that he is as well known by the average voters in his district as um, he might have been during his earlier days when he was a little hungrier and running differently. So he has drawn a challenger. Uh, Another Democrat is challenging him in the primary, Mina, uh, Charlotte Mina. And um, this is part of that wave of younger, more progressive Democrats sizing up some of their um, Democratic incumbents and deciding to primary them. So we'll see. Right now, Steve Kirby is reporting $52,000 raised, uh, but Charlotte Mina has raised $19,000, just about $20,000. And that's pretty impressive for someone who is not particularly well known. Kirby can usually pull uh, a fair amount of money from uh, banking interests in the in the district. Yeah, he yeah he's done a lot of work. Um, I think he was pretty high there with the uh, payday lending community too. Not that I think that's a great um, industry, but they are willing to put money into their legislative races. Uh, District 28, I know I've I talked about when uh, Justin Cameron and I were talking about how to do um, campaigning in the times of, of uh, COVID. This race is interesting. It's just to the, you know, right next part of Tacoma, the west part of Tacoma, and then uh, University Place and Lakewood, Stillicum. Chris Kilduff, who was a very um, well-respected representative, had decided not to run again. So for her second seat, um, there is uh, Daniel Bronowski, who is a Democrat, running. Uh, also, Jamie Michaud, who is a Republican, is running. And uh, Chris Nye, who's a Republican. And McCurse, uh, it says McCursey Rochelle, but it might be, Rochelle, I think it's Rochelle McCursey, also running as a Republican. So the Republicans are putting some effort into possibly taking that seat back or one of the seats back. I mean, this is a district that has gone back and forth Democrat and Republican, and it's a pretty tightly balanced one. Yeah, uh, it, it's currently got... Uh, Two Democrats representing it in the House and a Republican, Steve O'Ban, in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, they've had a hard time with the Kilduff seat. She has, I think she twice ran against Paul Wagaman, a well-known Republican from the district, who the Republicans don't necessarily want to run because 
they were always officially supporting someone else, but right. Wegeman would would pull through in the primary. Um, not really sure why Chris Kilduff has decided to step down, but that's that mm-hmm. opens up, that puts this seat into play. Mm-hmm. It was sort of a little odd that she was stepping down because she'd really pretty much run often enough now that this had become a pretty safe seat for her and for the Democrats. Yeah, and, and now she it's had, in play. Yeah, she had some the, good assignments too at the legislature. Yes, she's an attorney formerly with the Attorney General's office. The other legislative seat from that district is currently held by Mari Levitt, another Democrat. Yeah, and in terms of their fundraising, uh, Mari is doing quite well in fundraising. She's got she's raised ninety seven thousand um, dollars, and the challenger that she is facing, she's facing one challenger, uh, Kevin Ballard. And so she will be uh, through to the November election. And Kevin Ballard has raised uh, $8,500. Hard to know. At this point, it's really hard to know when you're looking at the Republicans or the Democrats, you know, who really has the blessing of the party. And the way you can start to get a sense of that is if you see any money coming in from either the um, one of the party caucuses at the legislature or some of their uh, strong regular funders. And so Daniel uh, Bronowski, who is running for the seat previously held by Christine Kilduff, he has uh, raised $22,000, and a lot of his money is coming from more traditional Democratic uh, funders, such as um, uh, firefighters and... uh, He is a firefighter. Mm -hmm. Um, I know he's gotten... uh, Derek Kilmer's campaign has been funding some uh, local Democrats, and Bernoski is one of them. Yeah, I think uh, the Kilmer friends of Derek Kilmer's donated, I think, about two thousand dollars to to Bernoski. Yeah, so he's the Democrat in in that race for position two. Uh, The Jamie Michaud, I that name is familiar to me, and I think that may be someone who. Um, previously, or may still work with uh, Alex Hayes's office. I'm just pulling up his. Um, yeah, his that, that's where I've that that's Alex Hayes is a political consultant in uh, Tacoma and the surrounding area who has tended to represent Republicans and and somewhat moderate to conservative Democrats. Yeah, it's hard to tell from his his C1. Um, The C1 is the first report your campaign files. It's your campaign registration report. And you have to list, you know, your bank that you use and also where, you know, who is an officer on your campaign. He lists himself as the treasurer, um, but has his uh, email at jason at electnorthwest.com. So now I'm just going to look up elect northwest. Let's see what that is. Oh, it's just a a web page of uh, basic from godaddy.com. So I don't know what elect Northwest elect NW.com. You know, I would expect Bronowski to be a fairly well-funded candidate. Uh, if nothing else, uh, the firefighters unions tend to be very active in local politics and they are big funders uh, typically of democratic candidates. Mm-hmm. I think so too. And, and of that's, course, that's both in Tacoma and, uh, in the county as a whole. Mm-hmm. And of course, in, in that District 28 is also where we see the race 
with uh, Stephen, Steve Oban as the incumbent for quite a number of terms in the Senate and uh, Twana uh, Nobles coming in to challenge him. And they're the only two listed, so they will go all the way through to November. Right. She's been on the University Place School Board for uh, several terms now. She's the current head of the Tacoma Urban League. Yeah. She's and been think- very active in local politics and is very well known in local politics. At the same time, um, Oban is, has been a very strong candidate in a district that that does split right down the middle, Democrats yeah. and, and Republicans, and he's a conservative Republican. And I think this challenge to him, I think she's a she's a good challenger, actually. She brings a completely different perspective to the race uh, and has a totally separate support structure than Oban. So you don't see, you know, the same people being uh contacted for support at all. Um, but no, I also I, I, think I would expect the funders to, to be a very different groups on each side of exactly this. totally different camps. At the same time, this is also one of those races that you sort of look at and you think a lot of how this could turn out will depend on what happens with the fall election, the November election, and what turnout looks like. You know, as as I've said before, when people have bemoaned sort of, you know, Trump and the possibility of him winning again, if everyone who supported Barack Obama turned out to vote for the Democrat running for president, that person would win. And so we'll see what happens this summer in terms of turnout, but that could also have an impact on some of these local races where you have, um, you know, you have the possibility of changing parties depending on what voter turnout looks like. I I will say though, that that district... It likes Oban, and uh, from everything I hear, he is a hard worker mm-hmm. in terms of uh, campaigning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, so those are the only legislative uh, races that I thought we would highlight. Uh, in our District 27, it's pretty much, in fact, I don't even know if they... I think there's, um, some, I, I think there's a Did they challenge. even draw any opponents? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Kyle um, Paskowitz, who ran oh, okay. against... Um, he ran against Lori the last time. He ran against Lori Jenkins uh, for her house seat last time, uh, was defeated. He's filed to run against Jeannie Darneal, oh. who's the incumbent senator for the 27th district. I think Jake Fye may have drawn an opponent. I didn't pay a lot of attention to this. Um, mm-hmm. These are these are very safe seats. These 27th district is, is within Tacoma. Um, these have been democratic seats for quite some time and I, I can't, but assume that each of the incumbents will have no difficulty being reelected. Right. I'm just going to look it up on the secretary of states. Yeah. So it looks like, um, for district 27, Lori Jenkins has an, an opponent called Ryan Talon and, uh, Jake Fye does too. Uh, Jake is has an opponent named uh, Barry Knowles. Yeah, I knew they'd drawn some opponents, but yeah, I, it looks I, like that was a last minute. The Barry Knowles looks like he filed on the fourteenth, so it was uh, Ryan Talon filed on the fifteenth. So yeah, those were last day surprises. And Kyle Paskowitz also filed on the fifteenth. So that'll be interesting, but I would not expect. Uh, a very close race in any of those uh, situations. 
no, those are very safe Democratic yeah. seats. Yeah. Anything else, Joe, you want to talk about before we sign off today? No, I think we've hit the uh, sort of the high level issues that these filings, you know, filings week and uh, financial disclosure forms have so far presented. Um, now the real campaigning begins. Mm-hmm. You know, you can raise money. Can you can you raise votes? And we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Absolutely. Well, and I, you know, we still have a real open question as to what campaigning looks like this year, given yeah. the limitations on person to person contact. Yeah, uh, the the standard recommendation of uh, hitting the doorbells on uh, on local races that's probably out the window. Yeah. But then, how do you connect with voters? Since every other method by which you can reach out costs you a fair amount of money. Yeah, be an interesting. Interesting questions to watch. The money right. will probably will probably play out quite a degree in this uh, in this electoral cycle. Whether it'll yeah. be effective or not, that's another issue. We'll we'll be cracking open at some point. Well, we'll see. We'll take a look at it again in August when we have a primary. Okay, then that's it for this week. Uh, coronavirus in Tacoma. Looking at candidate filings for office for the primary in August and the general election in November. We'll see you again next week. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 podcast network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.